Hey, church family, it's a joy to be with you this evening in spirit and also via video, online streaming. Um, this is the beginning of our Wednesday Elders series. Every other Wednesday evening for the month of June, one of our elders is going to stream on Wednesday evenings and share with you some of the ways in which the Lord has been encouraging us through His Word, and hopefully this will be the source of encouragement to you all, the same way that you all have been a huge encouragement to your elders and to myself personally, and the way in which you've been praying for us and just sharing with us how the Lord has been growing you in His Word, even in the face of these difficult times of shelter-in-place and COVID-19. Um, before we begin, a couple things. I just want to give a shout out and a special thanks to Kevin Lee and Garrett Glendy, who have taken your pastor from the dark ages, from the written word, and now we're moving towards video streaming and uh, enabling me to get some of this material online for you and for the whole AV team during this season of shelter in place, who have labored in order to keep us connected through online resources. So special thanks to them. And also, before we begin this evening, um, let's come to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ in prayer. He has been so good to us, and uh, we want to spend some time before we begin in prayer with Him. He is present with us. He is good, and He is faithful, and it's just going to be a joy to pray together with you. That's one of my great joys to do with all of you. So Let's uh, bow our heads, if you would, um, close your eyes, keep one eye open on your kids, and uh, let's come to the Lord in prayer. Lord Jesus, I just want to thank you for this time this evening. Time alone with you and time alone with your people is a, is a precious gift worth more than all the silver and gold in the world. And we just rejoice, though we cannot be together face to face, that at least we have this opportunity to share you, to share your word, and to share some time together. And so we just ask, Lord Jesus, would you become greater? Would we become less? And would you just bless this time? Would you soften our hearts? And would you open our eyes? And would you enable us together to see the greatness of your love and the greatness of your presence in the midst of our church? So thank you for these things. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, one way in which the Lord has been encouraging me personally, and I wanted to share that with you this evening, is the way in which Christ continues to shepherd his sheep, even in difficult times, and the way he continues to shepherd his sheep and grow them very, very, very specifically with his word. It's something that Jesus has always done, and I think one of the things that has overwhelmed me and encouraged me and stirred my heart during this shelter-in-place season is the way in which the Lord has allowed the elders to visibly see this in the lives and in the life of Lighthouse Bible Church San Jose, the way Christ has continued to be present even though we've been separate, even though things have been difficult for many of you, the way Christ has still been present in his spirit, his work is still present in your lives, and his written word is still doing a mighty work in your lives. And as we hear the stories, and we share, and we talk, and we pray with you, even sometimes as saints are dealing with adversity, 
um, the way in which the Lord has really visibly made this manifest, and I think in many ways by stripping away many of the things that we focus on, and just allowing us to focus on a few things, the way in which he's shown that to us has been an incredible blessing for us. And I think one of the things for the elders that has just been incredibly encouraging is the way in which Christ has shown he doesn't change in how he shepherds. That what we've seen in the lives and the life of Lighthouse Bible Church San Jose is exactly the same pattern we see Christ shepherding his sheep in his written word. He is the same Christ, he is the same Lord, it is the same spirit, and it is the same word. And so it's always a wonderful thing to behold the same things that we're seeing in the pages of Scripture in the lives of the saints in our church. So to help us with that, I'd like to take you to a passage that I'm sure is familiar to all of you. Luke 24, verse 13, the road to Emmaus, the road to Emmaus, where two disciples have left the fold, they've left the other disciples, they're distraught over the death and crucifixion of Jesus and all that's happened and their disappointments and their confusion over portions of scripture that they can't seem to understand. And so they're traveling, for some reason we do not know, away from Jerusalem, away from the other disciples, away from the fellowship of believers, and they're heading to Emmaus. But our Lord and Savior, good shepherd that he is, he does not abandon them. He pursues them on the road to Emmaus. And he brings them, as all good shepherds do, back to himself. And he gets them home, and he does so by ministering to them through the written word of God. Well, if you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Luke chapter 24, verse 13. And together we'll read this, and then we'll consider a few of the ways in which Jesus ministers to his wandering sheep, especially during difficult times when his sheep are being scattered and they're not able to gather together. Luke 24:13. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. And while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near. I love that. Jesus himself drew near, and he went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he, that's Jesus, said to them, What is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. And then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he, that's Jesus, said to them, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning. And when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said. But him 
they did not see. And he, that's Jesus, said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe, all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. This is the word of the Lord. Well, as we go through this text and we listen to it, Jesus shows us how he perfectly loves his sheep, and it hasn't changed over 2,000 years. How he cares for them and how he pursues his wandering sheep and how he looks out for them. And he does so very explicitly, as you see with his written word. But as we sort of backtrack a little bit, and I guess where I'm going with this, I want to cover sort of the three different ways in this text that Jesus shepherds and ministers to his sheep. And then we'll look at three things or three gifts of grace that the Lord provides for us in himself that he always brings to bear, that gives us hope and encouragement in dark times and really restores our faith and encourages us. And then after that, I sort of want to go through what the elders have seen and how we've seen these same patterns in our church. And so where we want to start here is uh, with Jesus. Where does Jesus begin? And he begins first, he personally comes alongside these two men. It says that he draws near to them. And I think that's so beautiful. I mean, this is the gospel. The gospel is not about Jesus live streaming. It's about Jesus coming in person in flesh and blood and being present with his disciples, regardless, okay, how good they are, how smart they are, how much they know his scriptures, his disciples, they belong to him. They're his sheep. And he draws near to them where they are at. And after Pentecost, the way in which Jesus draws near to his sheep is he draws near to them through his spirit. And he draws near to them through his messengers who bear his spirit. And of course, he does that with the Apostle Paul, and he does that with the local church. But here, prior to Pentecost, and in this period between his resurrection and the launch of the church, Jesus, with the spirit in him, comes himself, and he draws near, and he brings the spirit in him near to these saints. And he shepherds their hearts. What he does very sweetly, and what Jesus always does as he draws near to us, is he exposes our heart with the light of his word. And uh, what we see here with Jesus is he very much embodies the wisdom that we read about in Proverbs. Proverbs 25 says, The purpose in a man's heart is like deep water, but a man of understanding will draw it out. And here we see Jesus drawing out the purpose of the heart in uh, Cleopas and, and, and the other disciple on the road to Emmaus. And he does so by just asking some very simple questions. What is this conversation that you're having? What things are you talking about? And he gets them to explain what's on their heart and what's on their mind. And as they do so, and even as Jesus asks these questions, their heart comes right out in their sleeve as they share this. They stop, they are still, and they are sad. 
And we see that they're dealing with discouragement and despair and disappointment. And they are distraught and they are confused. And so we see how Jesus begins. Jesus begins by shepherding our hearts and drawing out what's in our hearts. And for these disciples, what's in their hearts are doubts. Big time doubts. And everything that they've heard, everything that they followed, they can't understand and they can't reconcile. And that's the first thing that Jesus does is he shepherds. He draws near and he draws out their heart. But the second thing that Jesus does, because he just doesn't stop there, he's not at an AA meeting, he's not just simply listening and say, okay, let's share all our troubles, he goes one step further. He rebukes them. He pulls a Matthew 18, okay, and uh, he corrects them. After he allows them to share their heart and, and hear them, he doesn't come and affirm them and say, you guys did your best, you're trying really hard, you, you're, you're doing the best you can, Good job for you. I mean, Jesus comes straight out, Matthew 18. Now, obviously, clearly, he does it gently. He does it with the spirit of love. But he very directly names sin in their lives. He says to them in, uh, let's see, where is it here? Verse 25. He says to them, in fact, he calls them by name, O foolish ones and slow of heart, to believe. Slow of heart to believe what? Some of what has been written? Some of God's word? No. Oh, foolish ones, slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Okay? Oh, foolish ones, slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Okay? And we see this in contrast to Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Okay? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. Acknowledge him in not some of your ways, but all of your ways. And he will make your paths straight. And Jesus is drawing out the fact your paths are crooked. Because you're thinking and you're behaving like fools. Those who believe that there is no God or who have an incorrect understanding of God. Those who do not believe in all of God's word, you just believe in part of God's word, and you're behaving as faithless or unfaithful servants. Okay? And he ties together, all right, where this is coming from. It's not that they don't have faith, it's that they are, their hearts are slow to believe, they're reluctant to place their trust in all of God's written word, okay? And of course, we know that Jesus is doing this in love. Jesus is not doing this to belittle or to demean or to put down. I mean, there's nothing to demean. We already are sheep who have wandered astray. We already fall short. There's, we are the worst and chief among sinners whom Christ has come to save. That's the gospel. So Jesus is not coming here to take these men down a few notches. What he's doing is he's coming to set them free. And in love, what he does to set them free is he identifies their sin. And at the heart of every sin is the sin of unbelief. A sin where we reject the whole counsel of God and what it says about who God is, what he does, what he says, and also what he requires of us, which very simply as sheep is to trust him and to follow him, and to trust him entirely, 
the entirety of his word. And, and this is what Jesus is making the point here. And he's making the point that they've got fallen um, expectations, their hopes are in the dumps, they're struggling and they're sad. In part, the path that they've wandered and where they've gone down is that they've attached a high belief or a high credibility or a high attachment to certain parts of Scripture and other parts of Scripture for whatever reason they have ignored. And so Jesus, the second thing he does for his sheep is he identifies really the source of their problem. And the source of their problem is their sin and their sin of unbelief. And it is not uh, an ugly rebuke because Jesus himself is going to provide the remedy. And the remedy is nothing less than Jesus himself. And that's what he does when we come to verses 25 through 27. What Jesus does after he's identified what the problem is, is that their reluctance and slow hearts to believe, and they're sort of the functional agnostics, okay? They're, they're functioning as people who sort of pick and choose what parts of Scripture we believe. The parts that work well for us and the parts that don't work well for us we leave beside. Their house has been built partly on the rock and partly on sand. The storms have come and part of their house has fallen down and they're sort of standing there looking at the empty walls wondering why is this all happening? So how does Jesus minister to them? And how does he bring them home? Well, he brings them to God's word. Very specifically, he brings them to God's written word. In verse 25, he says, Was it not necessary? And when he says, was it not necessary, that term necessary in Greek comes from the Greek word dei, D-E-I, I think is the English transliteration. And that term is a technical term that's used for divine necessity. Luke frequently uses it when he's referring to the direct fulfillment of the complete Word of God in the life of Christ. How it is necessary that certain things take place because this is what has specifically been written in the Word of God, the Scriptures, the graphes, the written Word of God. And so when Jesus says, verse 26, was it not necessary? He's pointing them back to the written Word of God. And in case we miss that, he's going to go on and spell out the written Word of God. Verse 26, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And then where does he go? Well, he goes to the very beginning of Scripture. It says, verse 27, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted, exegeted or hermeneut, Hermeneo, okay, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures, that term graphes, it's the term for the Old Testament, the written word of God, not just the verbal, not just the spoken, the written word of God, okay, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself, Okay, and the implication here is that Jesus took them back to Genesis and started to walk through from the very beginning, the Torah, the five books of Moses, and walked them through the five books of Moses, the law, and then continued throughout the rest of the Old Testament. Now, did Jesus, you know, read every word and sit them down and read through every word? We don't know, okay? We would say unlikely during this period of time. But the point that Luke is making is that Jesus is being comprehensive. That Jesus is pointing to the fact, even as he perhaps went through select scriptures, but went through them sequentially, 
okay, from beginning to end, that there is a love letter, a story from the Lord that is perfect and holy and inerrant in part and in whole, and that all of it has come to bear and has focused and is being fulfilled in the life of Christ, and very specifically, the good news of the gospel, his death on behalf of sinners and his resurrection from the grave to new life. And as Jesus does this in these, these two simple verses, verses 25 really through 27, together, both his rebuke and also his ministry to the word, what we see Jesus bring to bear into their lives is the doctrine of Scripture and the doctrine of inerrancy. If you go to our website, you're going to find the doctrine of Holy Scripture on what we teach on the section on the website that's about this church, and we've got a statement of faith. And we list a doctrine of the Holy Scriptures, and then after that we deal have uh, a doctrine of God, and later we have a doctrine of salvation. And I believe as you go and read through that, even though a lot of the language seems very theological and technical, you're going to see principles and doctrines and teachings that Christ is bringing to bear very succinctly in the lives of these disciples. And why is it similar? I think it's similar in part because our doctrinal statement, by and large, has been taken from the Master's Seminary, okay? And it's the Master's Seminary who gets credit for authoring our statement of faith, especially our statement on the doctrine of Scripture and the doctrine of God and the doctrine of salvation. But more importantly, because the Master's Seminary labored and took a great amount of time to put those doctrines together based upon God's written word, the Scriptures. That's directly where they come from. And as you go through those doctrines, you're going to see scriptural references that are made to that. But what Jesus does is he comes with this doctrine of Scripture, what he brings to bear in their lives, he's pointing out to them, all of Scripture comes from the mouth of God. It's what the Lord has spoken, and it's what the Lord guarantees he will fulfill, beginning with Moses, and not some of the prophets, but all of the prophets. He uses that word, all, and he shows because God has spoken it, because God has inspired it, because all of it comes from the mouth of God, what has been written, okay, it is without error, it is infallible, it is perfect, and it is true in the original autographs as they were written by Moses and those prophets, the very first documents. And because that is the written word of God, and God does not lie, God is going to fulfill all of this. And the fact that you didn't believe that, and you only believed part of it, is one of the reasons why you veered off track. And how he encourages their heart is he brings them back to the scripture and he shows them from Genesis all the way through the rest of the Old Testament. And as he brings them to the word of God, as you see and you read the rest of their section uh, that follows this, their hearts burn within them. It's at this time that the spirit opens their eyes and they're able to recognize Jesus as they break bread together with him. And they say, did not our hearts burn within us as he opened the scriptures to us? And of course, eventually they end up going back to Jerusalem and they go from being people who are running away from the cross to people who become evangelists and they end up sharing with others the testimony that they have seen Jesus. He is alive and what 
the women have reported earlier and what Simon has seen is indeed true. Now I want to focus in just a little bit. We said there's three things. First, Jesus listens and he shepherds and he draws near. Second, he rebukes them and he identifies what the stumbling block in their lives are. It's not their circumstances. It's not the crucifixion. It's not what the Romans have done. It's not what the Pharisees have done. The, the stumbling block is their lack of belief in their heart in the whole counsel of God. And then the third thing he does is he shepherds them with his word. He brings them to his word. As the good shepherd, as we've been learning in Psalm 23, he feeds them with the green pastures. He makes them lie down beside still waters and restful waters, the waters of his word. He washes them and sanctifies them and sanctifies and washes that sin of unbelief off with his written word, very specifically the whole counsel of God. And brothers and sisters, what I want to highlight to you right here as we consider how Jesus goes about shepherding, because Jesus always shepherds and has always shepherded his saints in the same way, whether it's Abraham in the Old Testament, whether it's Moses, whether it's the church, or whether it's you and I. The beauty of what Jesus is doing here is he's giving them himself. He's giving them himself. And it's in himself that he really gives them three inseparable gifts. It's what God has given us through the cross and the resurrection. And I put together a board. I'm going to try and hold it up and see if you can see these things. Okay, I need my sons here to help me. Okay, all right. I'm hiding behind it. Okay, what Jesus has done is he's come near them is he's brought to bear in their lives the holy and inerrant Spirit of God. That's what he's brought near to them. He's brought to them the holy and inerrant Word of God. And he's brought to them the holy and inerrant work of God. This is what God has given us through the cross in Jesus. He's given us all these things. And it's these things, the Spirit of God, the Word of God, the work of God that comes and brings sinful hearts to repentance, that gives us faith in Christ, and enables us to follow and obey Him as Lord. It's in Christ. It's in Christ that God has given us all these things. And this is the way in which Christ bring the, brings these things to bear on us. And a few moments ago, I made this connection, or I tried to make this connection with our doctrinal statement on inerrancy and the Holy Scriptures and also on God and also the work of salvation. And hopefully I can tie this together in this way. What Jesus was really presenting to the disciples is, I think, simply this. God is holy in all he says, in all he does, and all he signs his name to. He is perfectly holy in his person, in his spirit, in his written word, and in the work that he does. It is all holy. It is all set apart from sin. It is all perfect. It is all infallible. None of it lies. None of it is filled with error. God is not a deceiver. Okay, He's able to do all of these things. He's able to accomplish all of these things. And his work is perfect because his word is perfect because his character and person is perfect. There are no errors in his work or his word because there's no errors in God. And it's infallible because God himself is infallible. He is perfect. He is beautiful. He is holy. He is set apart from sin. 
All that he says he, do, he will do, he does. And we see this in Numbers 23.19, which says, God is not a man that he should lie, or a son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said, and will he not do it? Or has he spoken, and will he not fulfill it? And that's why Jesus says it's necessary that all these things are fulfilled. And this is a memory verse that our children's ministry taught our children, and they recited to us from the front of the church. Jesus is coming and saying, look, all God says verbally, all he signs his name to, all that is written in his name and that he is affirmed is true and without error, and therefore his work and the work of the cross and the resurrection is true and without error. You can count on God, you can count on his word, and you can count on his work 100% entirety. Verbal from the mouth of God, inspired, God-breathed, but written down by men who God superintended to write down his word. Okay, Plenary, meaning every word of scripture, not just part of it. It is without error and is true in whole and in part. Okay, There are not some parts that are more correct than other parts. All of it together, every last word, from the mouth of God to the pen of the prophets, God superintended that process in order to show us his love in the original documents, the original autographs, okay, to stir our hearts to faith, to convict us of sin, to draw us near to him, and to show us our great need for a great gospel and a great savior. And this is what Jesus is doing with these men on the road to Emmaus. And as you go on and read the rest of the passage and you see the impact of what Jesus does as he shepherds his sheep, he's enabling them to follow him for the next leg of the journey, to become evangelists and to become members of that early church. He gives them the power and the strength. And the sweet thing with this is Jesus never calls us to something that he does not already provide us with everything we need in order to follow and to obey his commands. Okay, well, where does that leave us? And why spend the time with this? Uh, what's been written and documented some 2,000 years ago, and what does it have with the reason for the elders to be encouraged? And I guess the point that I want to bring, I think one of the things that has overwhelmed me in the past several weeks is the way in which the Lord has allowed the elders to see this same pattern play out in our church. And the way we've been able to see Christ, the perfect presence of His Spirit in your lives, um, Sometimes with correction, sometimes with rebuke. There have been those who've come and sought counsel from us and we've walked through and said, hey, look, this is what the word of the Lord says. And this seems to be the area that you're struggling with. But this is the remedy. And the remedy is simply Christ and to follow him and to place your trust in him. Because that's really what Jesus is doing with these men on the road to Emmaus. Their faith has been in themselves, their own understanding. And he's taking their faith away from themselves, which has made them wander off the path. And through his written word, the entirety of his written word, he's brought their faith back in himself. And because their faith is now in Christ, their faith is not only in Christ, their faith is in the person of Christ through his spirit. Their faith is in the written word of Christ. And their faith is in the perfect work of Christ, his work of salvation, 
his work of sanctification, his work of justification, and how he will glorify them one day when they see him face to face. That there's this confidence, not in men, because a confidence in this world and in our circumstance, in others, in your pastor, your elders, that is always going to disappoint. But when our confidence is in Christ, we are never disappointed. Doesn't mean it's easy, okay? Doesn't mean it's comfortable, doesn't mean it's going to be a cakewalk, but it, it does mean it is going to be in a place that is well-founded, that the Lord is infallible, He is inerrant, He is perfect, He is holy in His love and His work, and He is worthy of all our trust. And this is what gives these men hope and encouragement, and as we go on, we see in the early church, this is what gives them hope and encouragement, and this is what gives the Apostle Paul hope and encouragement. It's that fellowship with the presence of the risen Lord through his written word and through his spirit. And that's why the Apostle Paul, at the end of his life, as he's in prison, he asks Timothy to bring his cloak to keep him warm, but he also asks him to bring the books and the parchments so that he can be encouraged, I believe, by the word of the Lord and to meditate on the written word of the Lord as he gets ready to die. And as we consider that, really, in our own lives, okay, we see that the Lord shepherds us and he encourages us in the same way. And to help you see this and to see, hopefully to show you how I've been encouraged and the elders have been encouraged, especially during this shelter-in-place time, I want to take you back just a little bit. Some of you will recall that we had a church discipline case that was difficult for our church. And during that season, and it was a, a certainly a hard season, I know, for everyone, several members resigned their membership and they left the church. And primarily, uh, I believe, my understanding is because they were not happy with the decisions that the elders had made with regards to this church discipline case. And the outcome of that uh, was that Almost overnight, our, our praise team evaporated and, and disappeared. And overnight, much of our children's ministry uh, disappeared. And I remember two weeks before the fall semester when we were getting ready to launch uh, children's ministry again. And we had probably 30 or 32 children to minister to as part of the children's ministry when Kevin Chan pulled me aside and asked if he could speak with me. And then he shared with me that there were only three people who were going to be uh, serving in children's ministry who would be in a position to teach the children. And uh, they weren't sure what to do since children's ministry was starting um, in two weeks. And I recall that time receiving that and hearing that and then praying with Kevin on the deck outside of Foothill College and then uh, just saying, okay, well, we need to pray to the Lord. And we need to look to him. And it was interesting the way in which the Lord used those things in order to get the elders' attention. You know, because really up front, the elders were not able to replace all those people. And the elders weren't able to do all their jobs. And shortly after that, Ted came in and joined Kevin to help in the children's ministry and to provide support and help there. And eventually Jerome came as well. 
And then in praise, Peter took over praise. And you'll recall that there were any number of Sundays where it was just Peter at the front of the church leading praise without a praise band at all, um, doing all of that. And uh, then what happened with our affinity ministries? Uh, at our church, we used to have college ministry, singles ministry, uh, sort of trying to get off the ground, a marriage ministry. And uh, what we ended up doing is we went to the Lord and we prayed. And the elders were in a position where all we could do was pray and go to His Word. And what the Lord did through that season is He drew... Uh, attention to something that, quite frankly, uh, as I've shared with the elders, I needed to repent of, and uh, by extension, my leadership in the elder board uh, and the direction of the elder board needed to repent of. And it's similar to these disciples on the road to Emmaus. I think much of my leadership at the time, as well as for the elders, was a leadership where the leaders tried to do everything to hold everything together. Whatever programs were there, the elders served and tried to hold it together. Whatever activities or programs, the elders tried to hold it together. And the elders ended up wearing many hats, not only teaching and preaching the Word of God, but handling administrative, handling details, you know, moving uh, music equipment, all of these different things that were happening. And yet, as we come to the Word in Acts chapter 6, the Lord makes it very clear that the ministry of the elders is meant to be focused on the ministry of the Word and prayer. That our faith is to be in Christ, that He is the one who holds all things together. It's His work, it's His Word, and it's His person that grows a church that is the cornerstone of the church and that holds everything together and he is the one who makes it happen and the elders cannot possibly replace Jesus it's Christ he's the one who saved us and he's the one who's put this church together and he's the one who will grow the lives of the saints and there were two uh, verses in particular that were incredibly helpful for the elders during this time and they were connected with the church discipline case. As you go through the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus explicitly mentions the church two times. It doesn't seem like an awful lot because the Gospel of Matthew, what he's doing is he's preparing the church. And so it's not mentioned explicitly, but two times he does mention it explicitly, the ecclesia. And the first time is in Matthew 16, and the second time is in Matthew 18, in that passage in church discipline. And in Matthew 16, Jesus says, after Peter's confession of faith, On this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not or shall not prevail against it. On this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And what Jesus shares here is he's the one who's going to build his church. He's going to build it on the confession of faith that comes from Scripture of who he is that he is the cornerstone. His written word, the testimony of his written word, made real and alive in the lives of those whom God has saved, his sheep, those who belong to him. And he makes the point, yeah, the gates of hell are going to try and mess things up, but they will not prevail. because Not because Mark Chin is building it, not because the elders are building it, not because we have all these amazing programs 
and because we have all these amazing volunteers and because we're connected with Lighthouse Bible Church and the Master's Seminary, the gates of hell are not going to prevail and Christ's church is going to be built because Jesus is going to build it. And he's going to build it on this rock. A confession of faith given by the Spirit of God that testifies to the inerrancy of the written word of God. That Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. The second verse that was a huge source of encouragement to us and I think in many ways helped bring the elders home along together with reading through Acts 6 together was Matthew 18.20. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. Here Jesus is making reference to his presence, the presence of his spirit in the midst of where two or three are gathering in his name. And it's worth noticing, okay, that that verse, 1820, is set within the context of church discipline. And very specifically, where believers come in and in obedience to Christ's word, they confront their brothers or sisters as he commands in a spirit of love for the purpose of reconciliation in exactly the same way that Jesus did on the road to Emmaus out of love, and to bring brothers and sisters back to the Word of God and back to faith in Christ, and back to faith not in part of Scripture, but all of Scripture, to really point us to Christ. It's within that context where Jesus says, where two or three are gathered in my name, in obedience to my commands, walking in my spirit, doing as I do, that there I am in their presence. And for the elders, this was just... A huge encouragement. Were we overwhelmed? Yeah, absolutely. Could we cover all the bases? No. Were we perfect? Far from it. But our hope was not in ourselves and our ability to, to do everything. Our hope was in the Spirit of Christ. Our hope was in the Word of Christ, His written Word. And our hope was in the work of Christ, of what Christ was able to do in the lives of the saints. And so our focus became much narrower. Our focus as elders was to work everything that we did towards the ministry of the word and prayer as Christ is directed and to equip the saints for the work of ministry with what? With his word. And so what we saw and what ended up happening was Peter and praise. The focus of his ministry was not to do a whole lot, but to spend a lot of time equipping those in the praise ministry with the Word of God, with what worship is, as what came from the Word of God. It wasn't about proficiency in technical skill, in instruments, in orchestration, and putting on a show. It was how do I build and how do I pour into, as Jesus did to the disciples in the road to Emmaus, how do I pour in to those who are in the praise team and in the AV team, how do I pour into them the written word of the Lord, the spirit of the Lord, and how do I allow Christ and get out of his way and allow Christ to do a work in their hearts that he so longs to do. And similarly in the children's ministry, what we saw with Kevin and Ted and then later Jerome, where repeatedly what came up is we don't have enough volunteers. We're short. How do we do this? How do we manage this? How do we manage that? And I remember having conversations with Ted and saying to Ted, look, just shepherd, just shepherd your leaders. Just shepherd the men, the faithful men who God has given you. Just shepherd them, okay? If they're shepherded, the children are going to be shepherded. Focus on the ministry of the word of prayer. And so those men 
would meet once a month and would pray together and share their lives together, their struggles, and pray with one another. That was behind the scenes children's ministry. And then when we saw with the affinity groups, all the affinity groups, after spending a fair amount of time in prayer and reading through First and Second Timothy and going to the Lord's Word, where the elder board ended up is to merge all our ministries and to become really in many ways a one ministry church. And that one ministry is Logos. And that ministry, Logos, is a ministry of the Word and prayer that is designed to equip the saints and to provide small groups in which members of the church can be shepherded in God's written Word and then they can gather on other weeks to pray through that Word together. And I know, church body, that that was not an easy transition. And I know for some of you it was hard. And I'm not saying that it was perfect by any stretch of the imagination. And I'm not saying that there's a far further path that we need to travel down and that Logos doesn't need to improve in many ways. But what I, I will say is, those are all expressions of the convictions of the elders that we need to repent that we need to repent from trying to do everything in the church in our own strength and to cover everything and make sure everybody is personally taken care of by ourselves, but instead to look to Christ because he does a much, much better job than we do. His word is perfect, his work is perfect, and his spirit is perfect, and it draws near to his sheep and it fills their lives with joy and hope and happiness in a way that we could never do as sinful men. And I think as you look at those three areas that I've mentioned, one of the areas that's been an area of great joy and satisfaction to me personally is when shelter in place came in and COVID-19 took over in many ways. And all the whistles and bells of a church ministry were stripped from us. We weren't able to meet for yum-yums. We weren't able to meet for social events. Not that we really had a whole lot of social events. Okay, We became a one ministry church. That a lot of the things that typically would make a church go were taken away from us. I think the thing that was very sweet for me personally and an encouragement was to see the Spirit of Christ and the written Word of Christ and the work of Christ continue in the lives of the saints. And that ministry was able to continue, and Christ was, con we, could, we were in a place where Christ was continually exalted, and that saints were continuing to be equipped and encouraged. Now, I'm not saying that's perfect, and, and certainly I think one of the burdens of my heart is I haven't been able to spend time with all of you, only some of you. But every Saturday evening, what the elders do is we read through a chapter of Acts and we pray for all of you. We pray for you collectively and we pray for individual members who are struggling. And we look to Christ to do what we cannot do, to be the Savior that we were never meant to be and to be the Lord that we are far from and to care for you. And, and, and I think the amazing and sweet thing that I've seen is to see Jesus fulfill and grow his word and fulfill his word in the lives of the saints in our church. Is it perfect? No. Is everybody doing perfectly well? No. 
Are there saints who are struggling? Absolutely. But nonetheless, it's been the Logos equipping in small groups that have provided a venue for us to continue in the ministry of the Word and Prayer, where people are still able to gather, be equipped in the Word, and pray together as a church. It's been a praise ministry where Peter's gone back to doing what Peter always did, and members of the praise team went back to what they always did, which was one person at a piano or one person with a guitar. And that hasn't been, to the best that I can see, a stumbling block because the focus has always been on the words of the song and the hearts that bring it, not necessarily the elaborate show or orchestration. And children's ministry has been a huge bright light where the children's ministry has been able to get participation from many members in the children's ministry and provide videos that are a huge source of encouragement to the families of the church and to the people of the church. Why? Because they were already meeting and serving the Lord faithfully with what they had and to whom much is given, much is required, but those who are faithful with little are given more. And they've shown that. They were faithful with little. And as time went on, there's been more there. And in each of those different areas, I look at how the Lord and that difficult season of church discipline and the way he reoriented and redirected the elders and brought them back to a a biblical view of leadership in the local church and a biblical view of church itself, that it's built around Christ and not around programs or the work of men or the words of men, that he is worthy and that his written word is perfect and it is trustworthy and Christ is going to do what he's going to do. And I think what's neat to see recently, we had a a membership uh, class and to see that, okay, shelter in place, there are still several people who are still interested in, uh, in finding out at least what it means to be a member of Lighthouse Bible Church. And that venue can be the source of encouragement and strength and fellowship where we can learn more about Jesus and what it means to abide in the vine. I think in each of these ways, as I've said, the thing that's most encouraging for me is to see the presence of Christ in the lives and the life of Lighthouse Bible Church San Jose, to see the written word of Christ in the lives and life of Lighthouse Bible Church San Jose, and to see his work continuing, not yet complete, but a perfect work, a work of the cross, a work of his resurrection, a work that comes from above and not below, that's continuing, albeit in a very humble fashion, in the life and the lives of Lighthouse Bible Church, San Jose. And to see the same pattern that I read in Luke 24 happening today in the lives of the members of our church, for me, is just it's just a wow, and it's just a praise, and it's just a humbling experience to come before Jesus and say, how gracious, how merciful, how kind is he to shepherd and care for us in the exact same way he shepherded shepherded those two disciples on the road to Emmaus. Well, that brings us to right now. Where does that leave us, and what are the challenges that await for us moving forward? And I would say very similarly to Luke 24, the challenge for us is about faith. Will we trust in the whole person of God? Will we trust in the whole written word of God? And will we trust in his work, especially when things are difficult, and things are 
are hard. You know, and without doubt, things, brothers and sisters, I believe are going to be challenging for us in the days ahead. Okay? The Apostle Paul writes this. He says in 2 Timothy 3.1, But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. Avoid such people. Okay. This is the Apostle Paul writing to Timothy in the church in Ephesus. And I think sadly, brothers and sisters, this is what we are seeing played out on a national and a global level, but especially on a national level. Everything I just read there, we're seeing in the news. And there's two areas that we're seeing it in particular. We're seeing it in the area of race, and we're seeing it in the area of religion. In the area of race, the leadership of this country has seen fit to pursue a path of blame shifting, of blaming the nation's problems on minorities, on people of color, and on immigrants. And this has been given a green light. And we've seen directly how this has affected the Asian American community. And sadly, conservative evangelical Christians many times have stood back and not said anything and allowed this to go without, without saying anything and allowed this to go unchecked. And we've seen a consequence of that is that there has been significant pushback by the left and the area that they have specifically chosen to push back on are conservative evangelical churches. And so we even see it starting to creep in in the media at this time, where there are suggestions that the spread of COVID-19 is being exacerbated and made worse by Christians, by evangelicals, gathering together, meeting together. When you see and you read the articles and you see the slant, you see, okay, this is kind of the direction where it's going, and this is where the pushback is going to be. For us as Lighthouse Bible Church San Jose, as people look at us from the outside, they look at us as a conservative evangelical Asian church, which means we're caught right in the middle to get pistols shot at from both sides. Okay, And we're already seeing this where hate crimes towards Asians has significantly increased to Asian physicians, Asian respiratory techs uh, in the hospital who are working to help people to seeing Asian seniors on the street. And we're also seeing it on the other side where we're getting lumped together with those churches who are violating the laws of the land and are choosing to recklessly sometimes pursue paths that are contrary to Romans 13 and Jesus' command to render unto Caesar what is given unto Caesar. Well, where does that leave us? If you have your Bibles, go to 2 Timothy 3. Go a little bit further down to 2 Timothy 3.10. The Apostle Paul says to Timothy, You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra. 
which persecutions I endured. Yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. Verse 14, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with what? The sacred, and that means holy, set apart, writings, the scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. I think as we come to God's word, the beauty of what we read is that God does not look at me as an Asian American conservative evangelical. He looks at me as a child of God and as his sheep or a lamb who belongs to him. And he looks at the members of our church to whom Christ is Lord as his sheep. He doesn't look at you, okay, you're Asian, you're Korean, you're conservative evangelical. The bottom line is we belong to him and he's a good shepherd. And Paul here directly addresses Timothy and shows him the path forward in the midst of difficult times where there's persecution coming from within the church and outside of the church, not only on areas of doctrine, but areas of politics as well. And what he points out to Timothy is, look, your battle is not in the area of race and your battle is not in the area of politics. You are to continue with what you have already believed and you are to pursue the sacred scritings, the scriptures that are able to make you wise for salvation. You are to be equipped to be the complete man of God through his word, complete for every good work. And that every good work will always point to Christ. And it will always involve the bold proclamation of the gospel, which is the only means by which sinners in this dark world can be saved. So what's the path forward for us? It's to continue to put our faith, not in ourselves, our works, our programs, or our efforts, but to continue to focus on the ministry of the word and prayer and to continue to place our faith in all of God, in all of his written word, and all of his inerrant and perfect salvific work through the work of the gospel. And in a very particular and specific way, that means for us to continue to be in prayer and to be in the word and to be obedient to Christ and to follow him individually in our homes and our shelter in place, but together in our places of work with our family members and also to pray and to move towards looking to God for the opportunities and the times when we can gather together in person. Well, where does that leave us as far as gathering together as a church? As you know, there are three, if you will, entities to which uh, we have to submit to in, in some way, shape, or form. There's certainly the federal government, but there's also the state government, and there's also the county of Santa Clara, and in addition to that, we hold a lease with the Seventh-day Adventist Church of Sunnyvale. And in each of those different areas, we as believers, 
as Jesus has exhorted us to render unto Caesar what is Caesar's and what is to God what is God's. To the extent that these different agencies have made recommendations and mandates in order to protect society as a whole and not with the intent of persecuting the church. We have an obligation before the Lord to honor him and obey his word by doing the best we can to honor these entities, to pray for them, and to submit to them in an orderly way. And so because of that, we're in a position where we need to continue to wait. The SDA church is waiting until after June 1st to make a decision on whether they will gather together again or not. And it's unclear what decision they are going to make, whether they as a church are going to open up their church to allow people to gather and worship. And so I'm going to ask you to really pray for that church and to pray for the leaders of that church and pray that the Lord would do what he needs to do to move them and to move the public health Department of Santa Clara and also the state as well to provide us with a way in which we can meet together. But until that happens, we need to continue to trust in Christ. That Christ, his work and his word and his spirit are perfect and that we belong to him and he's not going to stop building his church just because of COVID-19 and just because of shelter in place. Will it be hard? Yes. Is it going to be difficult? Yes. Can it be discouraging? Yes. But brothers and sisters, where do we need to go to be encouraged? We need to open up our Bibles. We need to read them together. And we need to call another on the phone or get online and we need to pray together. And we need to celebrate in the joy of what it means to trust in our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Finally, I want to share with you, um, you know, one burden on my heart and a challenge. At this time, I think what the Lord has brought to bear is that the purpose of all of these things at the end of the day is to proclaim his gospel. And my prayer and my hope is that the gospel will still continue to go out boldly. I know for many of you, um, some of you are at home with unbelieving family members or unbelieving roommates. And that has not been easy, but it's also an opportunity for the gospel. Many of us have been limited in our interactions with others at work. But brothers and sisters, all of this is here, and the Lord has left us here, and he shepherds us. And we're waiting for his coming, really for one significant reason as a church plant. It's so that we might share a perfect Savior, a perfect word, and a perfect work with those who so desperately need it. Because apart from Christ's presence and the presence of his Spirit, apart from his written word, and apart from his work in people's lives, there is only one direction, and people will never be free from the bondage of sin. So I want to ask you as a church to be in prayer for how the good news of the gospel can continue to go out from our church to share the testimony of Jesus Christ with those who so desperately need him. We're going to wait to see when we can gather. There is already a plan that's been put together by the elders and that is being fine-tuned to get us ready. When we are able to gather together, we will probably go in a low and slow plan. And that means that we will gradually ramp up and bring small numbers together and gradually increase the numbers to the maximum that is allowed. And the reason we want to do that is we want to make shepherding and shepherding from God's word the priority 
not getting everybody together. Our priorities, we want to shepherd your hearts. And we want to obey God's word by proceeding in a worship that's done in an orderly fashion that is pleasing to the Lord and honors the laws of this land. And so in order to make shepherding and shepherding from God's word a priority, our plan is to do that slowly and in small increments rather than just, okay, everybody let's get together. So bear with us in the weeks ahead, you're going to see that roll out in bits and pieces. And by all means, reach out to your small group leaders and reach out to the elders and to the deacons with the questions and concerns and the input that you would have on that. For the month of June, we are going to take a break from our small group formal fellowship. Every other week, there's a formal fellowship where small groups gather together to pray through what was the Lagos teaching and then the sermons. Our small group leaders need a bit of a break. And we need a time to retool and re-equip a little bit to get ready for July and August. This is going to be a marathon. This is not going to be a sprint. And so in order to give the small group leaders a time of rest and restoration, and in order to debrief and fine-tune and get things ready for the next leg of the journey, our small group formal fellowship will be on hold. The good news is that next Wednesday evening, the Alliance is going to hold an Alliance Pastors webinar where all the Alliance Pastors are going to be together again. They will answer questions and the focus on that will be how the churches plan on quote-unquote reopening uh, in light of COVID-19 and how we're going to um, gather our people back together again in light of everything that's happening both on the church scene and also on the political scene. And so three out of the next four Wednesdays will be taken either by elder sharings or by the Alliance uh, webinar. And so that'll give an opportunity, hopefully, for feeding and encouragement. Small groups will not formally be meeting, but we are going to encourage you to continue to meet with your prayer partners, to share with them once a week some scripture, to pray together with them, and to continue to reach out to your small group leaders through prayer lists to let them know how you're doing. Okay, if there's problems or concerns, we don't want you to hesitate to reach out to us. But this is a time to fellowship with members of your small group. The formal group will not be meeting for the month of June. Wednesday evenings, we will provide content to encourage you and to fill your hearts with the word. And uh, then we will look towards launching book club for those who are interested in participating in the month of July and August. And hopefully by July and August, um, I'm fairly confident that we'll have more news on ways in which we can gather together and be together. Well, I've kept you for a fair amount of time. I know um, there are loved ones in my life who will say it's, it's time to call it and to give you a breather. I hope this has been an encouraging time for you. Thank you for giving me the opportunity of sharing my heart with you and, and just being able to spend some time with you. Um, as we get ready to go, I want to close with uh, a prayer that's tied to Ephesians 3.20. Paul closes out his prayer in Ephesians 3.20 with these words. He says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church, and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. I don't think there's any prayer that's going to do it better than Paul does. So um, 
beloved and brothers and sisters, please know that we love you. Please know that we're praying for you. Um, and let's put our hope and faith in the one who can do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power that is at work in us, the God who does so much better than we do, whose word is perfect, whose work is perfect, and certainly his person and his love in our lives is perfect. Thank you for spending time with us this evening. We hope to see you soon. Bye.